Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck. In this episode, I interview an industry professional with 25 years experience as a high-performance expert both in and out of swimming who knows what it takes to succeed in any environment. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Joanne Love. Joanne is passionate about helping others realise their full potential through the implementation of psychology and neuroscience. She has worked with schools, athletes and business executives to achieve impressive outcomes, including Olympic potentials who have gone on to achieve high-level success, including Olympic gold and world championship titles. Joanne has successfully delivered her groundbreaking programs and educational cinemas in Australia and overseas, working for Australian High Commission, numerous private schools, international sporting organisations and individual Olympic champions. Joanne Love is an Australian gold performance swim coach, holding many qualifications, including a Bachelor of Psychology with Advanced Graduate Diploma. She has been an elite swimming coach for many years, being included on many state, national and international teams. Joanne represented Australia at the 2008 Beijing Paralympics as a swimming coach and has also coached several Olympic medalists and world record holders. Joanne also owns a successful swim school, Learn to Swim Victoria, which operates from two locations. In addition to her swimming career, Joanne works with elite sporting organisations, imparting a wealth of information on how psychology and neuroscience can create successful outcomes both within Australia and internationally. Through today's episode, Joanne shares some insights into her work as well as her thoughts on swimming in Australia and where she sees swimming moving to in the future. Please share the inspiration you draw from Joanne's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you will find all her contact details listed at the end of the show notes. If you want to share your aquatic story, please contact me via my email regionalswimclinics at outlook.com as I'd love to share your journey with our audience. So let's dive in and find out more about Joanne Love's journey in swimming. So Joe, how did you start your journey in swimming? Oh, a long time ago. My, both my parents were very sportive. My mother was one of the very first female lifeguards in Newcastle, New South Wales, and she was adamant that we learn how to swim. We spent the whole weekend or every opportunity down at the local swimming bars, and by the age of three, I could swim, and it was just a natural progression to keep going down the competitive pathway into competitive swimming. Wow, that's amazing. What prodigy you come from to have one of the first female lifesavers and then come in and be swimming at three. That's amazing. Yeah, she's very proud of that. And now she, as my mother's getting older, she keeps reminding us that I was the very first one. <laughs> <laughs> so you became a competitive swimmer and how did it progress from there? Well, at a very early age, I had some success and, you know, I just loved it and just kept growing and growing and growing. So by the age of 12, I was actually ranked number one in the world for the 100 metres backstroke for my age group. They were in the days where they used to have the the old shell book that used to have the list of all the rankings. Yeah, it just went on from there and 
competed at a national level, was selected in my day. You had They picked big teams for the Olympics. And as you got closer to the Olympic Games, they'd shed athletes. And I made it down to the last cut. That was my, my one big thing that I did in swimming, <laughs> but never made it to an Olympic Games team. Wow, that's massive. I never knew that about you. That's amazing. There you are, opening up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, that's so cool. So you've come, you've had a full experience. I just thought you got involved in swimming from the kids. I didn't realise you had such a prodigy and then developed such a fantastic work in it yourself, being able to get that far in swimming. That's amazing. Well done. Long time ago. Long time ago. (laughs) And then from competitive swimming, how did you move on to swim teaching or coaching from there? So finishing school, I actually finished school very early and started university very early. And I, in hindsight, looking back, probably went into university too early and didn't enjoy what I was doing. My sister was an air traffic controller and she suggested that I do air traffic controlling. So I moved to North Queensland as an air traffic controller and wasn't wrapped in that either, was missing the call of the pool, went down to the local swimming bars where Ken Woods was working and started doing Learn to Swim and from there stopped doing air traffic control and started coaching. I just loved the water and just loved that competition environment and the the love of competitive swimming. It's amazing how it can pull you back in. When I was a kid, you know, I didn't do much. But as I got older, I, you know, you come summer and you start craving the pool and being wanting to get back in. And that's definitely seen in your story that you wanted to yeah. get back in the pool and that's where you felt comfortable. Yes, and even when I started coaching, it was like, oh, do I get back in and compete or do I keep coaching? But I kept going down the competitive route when my kids started to get very good. I, I found I was getting a lot of pleasure out of their performances seeing them shine seeing them reach their potential and that sort of allowed me to step out of the pool and not worry about going back into the pool and doing anything there (laughs) you get the achievement through the children that you coach yes achievements yeah Yeah, definitely yeah wow what a story see you've been my mentor for how long and i've known nothing (laughs) (laughs) we haven't communicated enough then no no. Well, nobody asked me these questions, really. Oh, well, there we are. We need to ask more. Yeah. So out of that amazing journey and the, the swimming heritage that you do have in your family, what's the biggest lesson you've learned along your swimming journey? Probably the biggest one is one that I've had only in the last decade or so in the, to never stop learning. And I think I did that. When I started coaching, you know, I, I might have done my coaching courses and improved myself there but I was very narrow in my learning. I, it was only around swimming. And I think that inhibited my progression. And it was only when I had a couple of failures that I went back and went, wow, what do I need to do? And it set me down a totally different path. And it sort of opened my eyes to learning more about the world around me and how I can bring that into the, the world of swimming. So now I work with athletes to reach their full potential and probably more so coaches to direct them and help them and, and get their performance better so their, their athletes shine as well. Yeah, and that's it. I think it's a recurring thing that I've found in these podcasts is that, you know, you should always be learning, always developing. Jason Helwig said the same thing, is that we should be looking in ourselves but also in the swimming environment 
for those people that we can draw on to be able to develop what we know. And your background in psychology and the learning that you've done there has really influenced a lot of coaches, then helped develop swimmers and it's gone down. Mm. And you don't necessarily have to take your mentors from the world of swimming either. They can be from other fields as well. And I think you can learn just as much and it it may be the way you talk to people or the way you communicate and, and listen. It can be many different fields. So if you're lacking in some area, don't think that you can only learn that from the field that you're in. Be prepared to step out of that field for us. Be prepared to step out of swimming and have a look at what else there is available for you to learn from. Yeah, and it's about adapting what you learn as well, knowing what swimming is a base and what you know in swimming, but taking that extra information from outside and adapting it to what you need and fit it in with how it works with your swimmers. Yeah, most definitely. And there's so much we can learn from the you know other sports even, and we don't do that. I worked with the British athletics team for a while and some of the things that I saw them do in their warm-ups was just phenomenal and I brought them back and showed them to our athletes and it just opened their eyes and gave them a bit of innovation and and as we all know the brain loves something different you know why do we do the same thing again and again and again if we can introduce a bit of novelty they're going to refresh they're going to be keen to come back to learn something new so don't just do the same old again and again go out and learn something new and and help bring it into your programs. That's perfect. And that fits so well with swimming because of the fact that swimming can be repetitive. You're following that black line the whole time. So to be able to bring variety into training, you're going to engage the swimmers more and keep them in the sport. Oh, most definitely. We need to do that more often. And I think we've, we've lost track of that. And I think, you know, especially with what's happened with COVID and kids are being allowed to do sport free range, so to speak, you know, riding their bikes down the park, running around the park, doing all those sorts of things. To go back into a pool and swim up and down repetitively is is going to bore them to tears very quickly. And it'll be interesting to see how many we lose out of the sport in the next 12 months unless we adapt, unless we change our programs, unless we innovate. So now's the time for the greatest innovation that we can make. Have you got ideas of where we can start with that innovation? Oh, most definitely. So I'm very keen to change the competitive program. And I see that New South Wales have been very proactive here and in changing it to a team-based organisation. And that's probably one of the biggest insights that we've just had from our athletes is is they want to have more social time. They want to have more events with less pressure. Yeah, whatever we can do between now and when we start up our season in Victoria, what changes we can make for the better of our athletes, let's do it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I do love the new New South Wales Swim League. It is an absolutely fantastic idea what they've put in. And that's something I really think would benefit a lot of swimmers and bring in that team environment that we always say swimming's an individual sport, but you do have that team environment as well with your team. And I see that at competitions a lot. Yeah, the, the swimmers love the team environment. You know, when you speak to swimmers about their most enjoyable experience, they'll always relate it to a relay or a team event. That They'll pick a, a relay over an individual win. I mean, we've seen it just recently with the return of the Sydney 2000 Olympics you know, 20 years later. And, you know, all we're seeing is that 4 by 100 relay team where the Australians smashed the Americans. And, and to me, that, that's also the highlight of my viewing of those Sydney Olympics. The team has a greater pull, I think, than the individual. That's right. That's exactly it. So out of your amazing journey in swimming, what's been your biggest highlight out of your swimming journey or your coaching journey? 
I think making it to the as a coach on the 2008 Paralympic swim team was probably my, my greatest and my proudest achievement. Although I say that in that I actually really didn't want to go when I was selected first <laughs> off. I, I, there was too many other worries that, you know, how am I going to leave my family for six or seven weeks because I was a single mother? And it was all those things that went through my head. And uh, am I doing this the right thing? Am I, you know, by my kids? Is it the time to leave? And anyway, I went and I had a fantastic experience. It was the best thing I ever did. And it also taught me that my kids were actually really independent. And it taught me that I was a mother, a single mother, that I actually wasn't neglecting them. Yeah. They, they, they've got so many skills so many other kids do not have. And I was just proud, that, proud of myself that I, I did go and proud of the fact that they were able to step up while I was away. I wouldn't say it was all sweet and roses. There were some issues. My daughter threw a tantrum the night before I left. But, but anyway, <laughs> it, it, it was okay in the end. It worked out well. Yeah, and like you said, they, they're better for it. You're better for it. You would have come back refreshed and so excited about what you'd experienced that you're able to bring that into your personal life as well as your work life as well. Yeah, and, and what a lot of people don't know, that I actually have a son that's disabled as well. I have a son that's in a wheelchair. So to be able to see disability firsthand of other cultures was just so fascinating what we do in Australia is absolutely phenomenal. If a child loses a limb, we neaten it up, we make it look good, we go about helping them in the best way possible, whereas some of the athletes from around the world, there's like it looked like their arms had just been hacked off and sewn up haphazardly. And, and, and that was a huge eye-opener to see those sorts of, of things going on. But also on the, the other flip side of that was to see what some of these athletes were able to accomplish you know, people with, with no arms and, and, you know, no feet that managed to eat by themselves. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, it was just amazing. Wow. Imagine that. That's amazing to see what the human body can achieve. And what it can adapt to. Yeah, yeah. And they're the ones that have probably got more resilience than the person who has all their limbs, can do everything normally. And, you know, they're the, the less adaptable, the whinge and whine, every chance they can get, whereas someone who hasn't got any of that, they just power through and achieve so much more. Yeah, there's a big difference mentally as well, I see. They're more adaptable to enjoying the moment, whereas I think a lot of the more elite athletes forget about enjoying the moment and put so much pressure on themselves mentally. It's all about, I have to perform now rather than let, let me, you know, hey, I've made it Olympics, let me enjoy this. Yeah. Let me just go out and have the best time that I've ever had and just enjoy what I'm doing rather yeah. than putting all that pressure on. So that's, that's the big difference between the Paralympic and the Olympic athletes. And you can see that when they're interviewed afterwards. You know, the able-bodied athletes are so focused on what they've done and there's so much emotion and it's very much drilled on their performance and talking about their performance. And then the Paralympians come out and they're interviewed, oh, mate, it's so great to be here. How cool is this? And, you know, yeah. ecstatic to be able to reach that level. Yeah, yeah, I think you summed it up there perfectly. You know, you definitely do see that difference. And it's enjoyable being around these kids. Nothing's too hard. You ask anything of them and they'll just give it a go. And I think, you know, these kids that have got everything going for them, you know, you ask them to do the same thing and it's like, oh, it's too hard. I can't do that. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. I think we all need a bit of a, 
a Paralympian and our swim team just bolstered everyone else. True, most definitely. Just not the one I had. He was a bit of a naughty boy. <laughs> we'll have to get him listening to the podcast and uh, <laughs> come back with his answers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> but if you're wondering who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Sam Brum, who's who went to Athens Olympics as a 16-year-old told the reporters that he'd had his leg chewed off by a shark, which was definitely not the truth. He was born <laughs> with a deformed leg and had it amputated at about the age of seven, if I remember rightly. So for six months after the Olympic, because he won a medal, we had reporters ringing us asking about the shark attack and how bad was it. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> That's not bad. That's brilliant. Yeah, so he's a bit of a character, old Sam. <laughs> Oh, good on him. That is fantastic. That's a great achievement. <laughs> He's not naughty at all. <laughs> well, I could tell you a lot more other stories, but anyway. <laughs> not for this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say we better keep them under wrap. <laughs> yes, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> good on him. Well, he would have learned from you, so that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I, I learned more from him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So in your journey in swimming, has there been any big role models that have stood out for you? Probably not in the, in saying that, not in the swimming world as such, although one of my big role models was my club president at the time. She was a mother of one of my athletes and it was just her personality that stood out, the way she handled things so well and she had a sense of humour and I think I haven't got a sense of humour so that's something I've always wanted to have. And she was always so positive with everything. And she went through a lot of hardship herself and, and was seeing her ability to cope with that and respond to certain things that was made me look at her as a role model. Yeah. And you do have a sense of humour. you got to believe that. Not really. <laughs> it comes out. <laughs> yeah, dark sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> And is there any mentors that you've had outside of swimming that have developed you? I think probably it's a combination of a lot of people in the industry that I, I've taken things away from. There's, I love the attitude of Michael Bowl, you know, just so relaxed, always happy. Ian Pope is much the same. He'll, he'll talk to little kids as well as old kids and, and help them with technique, whether they're his swimmers or not his swimmers. And he's after looking out for the potential that he sees in those kids and helping them perform the best. So it's the little bits and pieces that I've seen from a lot of people. I love Peter Bishop with his attitude towards certain programs. So I haven't just focused on one person. I've gone far and wide and, and taken little bits from many people and, and used them into my program. And it more so, it doesn't align. What's the reason behind it? If I can agree with the reason that they're doing certain things, that's when I want to use it. It's well and great to hear that this is the greatest method that's going to project your kid into the future. But why? Ask yourself why and what's the reasoning behind it before you go out and jump, especially with a lot of the new equipment. It's new equipment every day, different size paddles and all shapes and sizes. So why, why do you think it's better over what you're currently using? Don't be tempted just to, to buy the latest gadget just because you think it is the greatest. Always ask yourself why. And what's the benefit that it brings? And if you think it's going to work, go for it. But if you, you know, you question, really? Maybe it's time not to buy that equipment. 
Yeah. And I really like that point because that's something that I sort of struggled with at first was I love shiny, the new shiny things. You know, and I think, oh, I'd love to be able to bring that out and all oh, these kids. And I, I sort of have to remember that I've got the kids for eight weeks, that's all. So bringing out the new shiny objects is great, but is it actually going to benefit when I really only have time to teach the fundamentals and a little bit more? Yeah. And are we focusing too much on that stuff? And I know it's something that a lot of it's coaches and trainers in country areas, a simple pool noodle can be adapted in so many different ways. And that's when I've been getting out and meeting people and meeting coaches, that's the thing that I really love to see is how people use our current and our basic equipment in so many amazing and different ways. Yeah, and that's where I think we've lost the art of looking at things and, and applying them to certain areas. I love what you just said about, you know, just the simple pool boy and how we can use it in so many different ways. And the sky's the limit, but we contain ourselves to, hey, you should only go between the legs. No, it can go anywhere. Mm. You know, let's utilise equipment we've got and, and see what we can do with that and change up our programs by, by changing the way we use the equipment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I really love what you said about taking bits out of what people say and the best bits out of them and, and using them for yourself. Someone like Ian Pope. Now, you know what I'm like when I see a legend in swimming that I idolise. And one like him because I got his DVD collection just off a whim. I saw it somewhere and purchased it. And it was really great for when I was first learning that coaching side of it to be able to get back to basics he brought it down to basics for me and I see him as a bit of a legend in the sport myself and I can't wait to meet him. I'm going to pull that on you one day when we're next at a conference. I'll have to get you <laughs> introduce me and I promise I won't cry. But yeah, <laughs> I really see that sort of thing, how looking up at these elite coaches, really we can adapt and what they do into what suits us and taking their knowledge not taking it as gospel, but really using what they've got to our advantage. But, but I also think we need to look below us as well, Katrina. Yeah. So coaches sometimes think that they're better than learn to swim teachers, but there's some, some phenomenal learn to swim teachers that have been in the industry for so long and they still teach a lot of the stroke technique and they come up with some really great ideas because they've been teaching for so long and, and, and learning different methods to try and engage the kids and make their points across. There's so many takeaways we can get from them. So I've got a phenomenal teacher that works with us and it was just a single one-liner that I went, oh, yeah, that's so easy to teach something. So what are, what are some of those things? Don't walk around the pool deck, listen to these people teaching, listen to, to what you're hearing and is there some takeaways from those things that you can use in your program to help the younger athletes and even the older athletes understand a little bit better about what you're trying to achieve. That is a really great point. And it was also one brought up by Hayden Belshaw in a previous podcast was that he's found his coachings got a whole lot better from actually going back to the learn to swim gym with his children and going back in that pool. And it is because, I mean, a learn to swim teacher has so many crazy kids in a group that at a young age, when they're all hyperactive, they're all enjoying things, they've got to be able to relate and teach the basics which can be, it's quite a hard concept to get when you're so young. So they've had to adapt their ways and they've had to be able to teach it to so many different styles and so many different children and keep them entertained. So they have a wealth of knowledge. And like I said, if they've been in there for that long, 
they've got to be able to have been repeating that outcome all the time. So yeah, they're a great resource to have. Yeah. And by the same token, I just want to bring up too another point is we always try to excel to have our swimmers have that perfect technique yeah. and, and you'll Google it and you'll try and make sure it looks a certain way so it matches the top athlete in the world. And that push sometimes doesn't work and it can actually be very distracting and very preventative to your athlete. So just be aware of that and, you know, let them go for a bit and see if it works and, and see how, how it runs before you go and change too much to make it look like somebody because we're not all built exactly the same. We don't all exactly have the same limb length or arm length or kick strength. So we're not all equal. There is going to be variation. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's what fits for the swimmer. And I really got that point. I'm glad you brought that up because we're not all equal. Like mm. different arm lengths, different body lengths. You know, we might have a tight muscle somewhere or not so much rotation in different parts, but they can still do well and achieve so much. And I really like that point and the idea. And I think that's something that you develop out of that parasite and that parasite to see what, let the swimmer get their own ability and their own design and technique to it and then just refine what works for them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So what advice would you give to a new swim teacher or coach coming through? To be like a sponge and just absorb everything you possibly can and not get too full of yourself. And unfortunately, I see that because it's a bit like that, the classic management position. You get the title manager and then you start to put other people down or, or think that you're better than everybody. And I think that what we need to do is learn, hey, we're a coach. That doesn't mean we know everything. It's an opportunity to start learning even more and work on what you don't know and start thinking about what you don't know and start learning those things so you can improve your performance. And I think a coach's performance is reflected in their athlete's performance. So if you're not doing the best job, your athlete isn't going to perform either. That's it. What we bring to the, the program is what an athlete takes out of it. So we need to make sure we're giving 100% to ourselves and to our athletes and always learning and always developing because, yeah, what works for one swimmer doesn't work for another swimmer. Yeah, and then probably the only other thing I'd like to say to a young coach is don't be prepared to jump up too quick. Take your time. I don't think there's enough time spent on the, the lower level. And I think this, the lower level is actually the best opportunity for you to learn the most. Because when you get up to the high levels, these kids can swim. They've got great technique or they've got improved technique compared to the lower levels. And it's that lower level that teaches you so much. It's not the higher level. So if you really want to learn and you want to be the best coach you, you can be, be prepared to spend time with those lower level athletes before you jump up. Yeah, great point. You know, learn and develop. And that's where you get the finer detail and the finer points out of it. And then when you get to the elite swimmers and that, by then they know a lot of the stuff. So it's just containing that technique and the real development part comes from that early age, that beginner level. Yeah, so correct. Yeah. Good point. I love that. That's brilliant. So for you, what does swimming look like moving into the future? I think we need to change. I think we need to be more adaptive and innovative and creative. I, I don't think we can no longer have swimmers in the water for two hours, morning and night and do 6K sessions. I think we've got to become 
creative in the way we do our programs to make them engaged because I think we've lost that engagement. Our, our athletes are really, really mentally tough and very strong and resilient, but at the same time, they're not going to be like that forever. Every generation coming through is going to want to do less and less and less. And if we keep insisting that we do 12 sessions a week at two hours each, I think we're going to lose a lot of our swimmers. It's not, I'm not saying they don't have to do the work, but how can we do what we're doing better in a shorter period of time with more engagement? I love that. That's exactly it. Yeah, it is about engaging the swimmers, but also, and I think that the finding out what the swimmers want to do. Gone are the days when the coach ran everything and told them how it was done. It's now time for the swimmers to step up and say, no, this is how we want to do it. But to also understand the consequences that, yes, they need to be engaged and they need to do the work, and, yes, we'll adapt it, but if you don't put the physical effort into it and the mental effort into it, then, you know, you get out what you put in. Yeah. Um, and, and, that, and that's a great point you brought out about, up about the mental side of it as well. So we spend so much time on the physical conditioning, on the technique, but we do not spend enough time on the mental side of things. And it plays a huge part in performance. And if they're not mentally strong and they're not mentally prepared, if they have any doubts, no self-belief, they're not going to perform. So when and how are we educating these kids in the mental side of things? And that's been neglected for a long time. And I think we should be spending as much time on that as we are in the pool. And a great example is, I, I don't know if you're aware, there was a research project done on basketball shooters and they had half the team shooting goals on the court. They had the other half sitting on the sidelines visualising shooting goals. After a month's time, they tested them. The guys that were sitting on the sideline mentally shooting goals performed better than those that were physically shooting goals. So the power of the brain is absolutely phenomenal. Do we need to be in the pool swimming up and down? Can we sit on the side of the pool and practice swimming, not in the water and see how far we get. You know, it's something that, you know, we're in Victoria at the moment. Is it something your swim team could be doing, you know, doing 10 fifties on a minute visually in your head, swimming up and down a pool. I really like that thought because I was just about to say being with COVID, that's something that we need to explore. How cool of an experiment would that be? You compare groups in swimming and see the difference now, especially with Victoria, I'm sure there's coaches and swim teachers out there that are running out of dry land training ideas to do over Zoom. Why don't we bring that visualising, that mental work to get their mental health and their mental development happening? That's something that through my life coaching course I'm really have been working on and I'm noticing such a difference with it. Yeah, yeah. And we always talk to our swimmers about being positive and self-talk. And, but when do we actually give them time to actually work out what, what their self-talk is and what's their comment that's going to bolster them when they get up behind the blocks? Or what are the methods when the nerves get too much for them? Are we teaching? We, you know, we might talk about it very quickly in some of our programs, but are we spending time developing those techniques? And unfortunately, what works for one athlete doesn't work for all athletes. So mm-hmm. it's about exploration as well. And letting them understand where those nerves come from because many of them don't even know where they come from. They just go, I'm going to compete. Oh, I'm nervous. And it could be something as easy as, hey, it's the crowd. So what can you do to distract yourself from the crowd? Headphones on and music. Or it could be 
if you get into your head too much and start overanalyzing things, what do you need to do? And it could be as simply as a friend just talking about absolute garbage in your ear to distract you from those thoughts. So you need that awareness of what's happening, what's causing these nerves, and we do not spend enough time developing these techniques. And I think that's really important and that would bolster a lot of these kids and keep them in the sport. Because when these things happen, what happens to them is they, they have a couple of experiences like this and they pull out and that's what happened to me. So I had a, a really top athlete and, and I'd love to tell the story because I think it's, it's really great. Mm -hmm. I had a young athlete who actually beat Michael Phelps. So Michael Phelps, as you know, the greatest ever Olympian of all time, and this young boy beat him. He was looking forward to being one of the top athletes in the world, yet the psychological got the better of him. So we walked into a pool one day ready to swim our major meet, and he turned around to me and he said, I can't swim today, the water's too blue. I'm like, what do you mean the water's too blue? All swimming pools are blue. And basically, I didn't know how to help him. And it was me letting him down as a coach that couldn't help him, that saw him swim in the most dismal race in his life. He never made the Australian team that he should have made then and there. And he never, ever went on. Condition just got worse and worse and worse. And that's what actually sent me back to university to study, study psychology. So if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. And it's, it's almost this, I, I now walk onto pool deck and I almost have this hyper-awareness and I... I see these coaches and I see these parents going, hey, you need to focus before a race because you're not going to be ready to swim if you don't focus. And in fact, that could be the worst thing possible for that athlete. I think that we really need to spend a lot more time on studying the, the mental side of things rather than all the time we spend in the pool. And that's it. And I mean, that's something when I was doing this training for the life coaching, I found that I was going through and I'm reading this stuff and I'm thinking, I know it. Why am I not picking it up? But to me, it was, I had to read it a couple of times. I had to understand it. And then I began to pick it up. And I remember emailing you once saying, oh, you know, I'm actually starting to pick up where these things are coming from. I'm starting to pick up when I've noticed through COVID that I'm getting down and where I need to change it and where I need to adapt. And that's the thing with these kids. I mean, I'm an, a full grown adult most of the time. And these kids are young. They're looking for guidance from us. We can say it once in the season, the start of the season now, remember the, the mental side and be positive and know how to deal with this stuff. But if they're not getting constantly reminded and constantly working on it, whatever you say is just going to go over the top of their head and they're not going to understand it or get that knowledge from it. Yeah, exactly. And just even the way, so my big forte is on goals and I've done a lot of research around this and you know, even the aspiration to win can be the worst thing you possibly do. Your goals shouldn't be set around things that you can't control. And I think we need to educate coaches. Yeah, the, the kid may want to win a race, but what does it take to win the race? It's a time thing. So what is the time they need to swim? That's what the goal should be focused on, not the winning. And, yeah. and I really think there's a lot of work we could do there to help just those basic skills evolve so our kids perform the best they can. Yeah, and it's also about finding their normal too because if you don't understand what your normality is, then how are you going to know where you change and where that change takes you because you need to understand your state. And a lot of kids, when they're swimming and when they're going through that prime part of their swimming career, there's so much changing in them anyway. They're going through puberty, mm -hmm. going through those teenage years 
and the normal pressures of life are there. So they're learning that. So they don't know. They're trying to find themselves mentally. So to find that normality and that level where they begin and then where the changes happen, I think that's something we need to help them. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because tied with that is the ego. And when the ego gets hijacked and kids, it it's, happens more often, they, they go down these paths of, hey, I'm, my mum's told me I'm quite good at swimming and starting to win. The ego takes over and then they get so tied up in, hey, I'm a winner. When they don't win, it's like a shot to their identity and their self-esteem, the whole lot. And then we lose these athletes and that's when these mental health issues evolve. Yeah, that's a great point. And controlling knowing what their normal is and then controlling that ego that that can come along. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other side of that that excites me is the fact that learning about nerves and where those pressures come from, but actually being able to change that. So I know Mel Robbins, self-help specialist, spoke about when you go out on stage to talk or to compete, that whole nerves And the pressure that you feel is exactly the same feeling and physiological change as when you're feeling excitement. Mm, And it's about mentally telling yourself that, okay, okay, I'm nervous. I've got butterflies in my belly. I'm feeling tense. Now, you can tell yourself, okay, I'm nervous. Or you can say, I'm excited Mm. to be able to go out and race or I'm excited to be able to go out and talk to a crowd of people. And yeah. it just changes those feelings and gives them another definition. Yes, yes, definitely. So the, the challenge mindset, I like to call it. So when we start to get those nerves, what's the challenge here? Rather than thinking about it, the nerves, oh, my God, I'm going to go downhill, I'm not going to swim well. I'm challenged here. I've overcome challenges before. This is just another challenge. I'm going to make it today. But the, the positive aspects around that, and you did right, some stress is good. We need stress to perform. We don't have stress. We don't perform at our best. And it's a bit like you think about going on your first date. You had nerves on your first date, and I'm sure it went well. In some cases, it might not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, it, it's an experience. It, it doesn't make us bad. It doesn't hurt us. If we, and it's how we, we think about that stress. So you, you're dead right. It, it, you, your mindset matters and very important point to make. Yeah. So how as an individual and also an industry, do you think we can promote and develop Learn to Swim and the competitive side of swimming to encourage more participants, but do that with less funding? That's a great question. How long is a piece of string? (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's a lot of things we can do. I really believe that, especially through COVID, it's become quite evident that we need to be a united force for a start. Having all these different organisations all going different ways, all getting funding for different things is not helping swimming on a whole. I believe that one of the things that we could be doing is talking about the competitive pathway right from the start of our Learn to Swim programs. AFL's fantastic at this. They have the, the little Oz kick that sort of says, hey, we'll teach you how to play football, but then there's that pathway. So here we are saying, hey, we can teach you how to swim, but we don't say, hey, here's what you can do in the future. So it's a very simple equation of of tying all these different organisations together and getting them to agree and work with each other for marketing 
and I think it'd be very successful. I, I actually believe it needs to come from groups that are have their fingers in all pies. So ASTA, Australian Swim Coaches and Teachers Association, as you know, have their fingers in all pies and I think they're probably one of the best organisations to lead this. Whereas Swimming Australia, they work with the top athletes. Yes, they might work with states, but they're not at that base level. They're not really working with clubs. They're not working with Learn to Swim. So I don't think they have the understanding that's needed to get this going. But for this to happen, I think you need to have the money up front, first off, the campaign, and then I think it would feed itself after that. So, yeah, there's no money at the moment, but, you know, if we could find some money and get this started, I think it would be self-perpetuating a bit like Auskick is. Like, you only have to say Auskick now and everybody enrols at the local school and, you know, it's the volunteers that help. So I think it yeah. can be done. Yeah, and it can be, and that's the thing. I think coming together as a united front, if we can pull those resources and bring so many aspects to it, there is funding out there, but it's about adapting it and getting a lot of people together and not just one area of swimming where the big one competitive or learn to swim, but putting it out there saying that we are going to go together and we're going to develop a swimmer from day dot, from six months, and develop them mm and move them through Learn to Swim onto the competitive. Yeah, it is about coming together and, and working as a team and not seeing Learn to Swim and competitive as separate anymore. Yeah, that's that's correct. So the greatest, I don't know if you're aware, but we're the greatest participation sport for under nines. It's a phenomenal rate and then we lose so many as they move into other sports. So, you know, we need to stop that trend from happening. And I think also we need to adjust our mindset around that young nine to 14 year old age group, uh, we start to put them into competitive swimming and a lot of coaches will just say, no, you need to make a choice. Why do we need to make a choice? A lot of our competitors aren't successful at Olympics until they're 22, 23. So why are we asking them to make a choice at, at 10, 12, 14? They don't really need to specialize until 16, 17, even later. It can be done. It's being done around the world. We just need to change our mindset on that and I think America is a great example of that they're not so forceful in their younger programs they actually don't really develop into full-blown athletes until they hit the college system so do we need to change our mindset around those young athletes and and make it as we said earlier make it more a team sport more enjoyable so they do stay in it rather than go to the other team sports that are enjoyable for them yeah, and that's right. And it's something I noticed, especially in the country, that teams is a major thing here because that's all the connection they've got mm. to be able to spend time with their friends. We can't go down the street and go shopping or that sort of thing. So connecting with friends is a major thing for them, especially in those years where they're rebelling against parents and developing who they are, their friends are their connection. And I think the fact that to be involved in different sports makes them a well-rounded athlete it's something I heard a lot about in one of uh, conferences I went to I think Swim Victoria a few years ago they spoke about it was looking for that older athlete but developing that well-rounded athlete from taking part in different sports mm. and then requesting that specialization when, when they're 16 and we hear it a lot in the football players and things like that you know oh, they were good soccer players and then they had to choose whether they played softball or football. And there's different sports like that as well, which I think is a major thing that we really need to develop that well-rounded athlete and then 
look to focus when they're mentally mature to be able to deal with that. Yes. So Norway is a great example of this as well. So they have no competition for under 13. So they're not even allowed to rank their athletes in any sport in under 13. And yet they won the most medals at the recent Winter Olympics. So you can do it. You don't have to have your young people doing copious loads of sport at an early age. You can make it work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on, Joe. As always, and I say it a lot, everyone in this industry is such a wealth of knowledge, but you've stepped it up and brought out the amazing work that you do and emphasise some fantastic points. And I thank you very much for coming on and sharing your time with me today, Anna. Oh, thank you so much, Katrina. I enjoyed being on. Thank you.